Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wells. Welcome, Chris. Good to be here, Dan. All right. Well, it is good to be here. It's got a bit of a hurricane scare this week down in Houston, but looks like we've avoided it, and uh, we'll be here to, to be able to produce a nice podcast for everybody. So we'll we'll get this thing rolling. <laughs> Uh, so, Chris, you know, getting, looking at this week, uh, we'll kick it off again with uh, last week's initial unemployment claims, the continuing claims. Um, so we continue to see, you know, a recent pattern of, of steady improvement. And then this week, unfortunately, um, claims showed little to no improvement. And the pandemic unemployment assistance claims, um, they're increasing. They offset, in fact, a decline um, in initial state claims. Um, and perhaps more importantly, the continuing claims improved only 1.5% week over week. So um, the question here for you is, you know, do you have any thoughts, concerns regarding the moderation and the rate of improvement in the employment statistics? Yeah, and I do have some concerns with it. But, you know, as we've stated previously, we're not terribly surprised as we move from the reopening, which was the V-shaped recovery, and, and now we're kind of dealing with the damage uh, to the economy by shutting it down um, and, you know, creating a lot of issues for small business. And quite frankly, we've probably permanently shut about 40% of our small businesses. And this is also consistent with the stimulus kind of running out, whether it's reaching the end of the PPP uh, loan forgiveness threshold so those layoffs can become permanent. But more importantly, it's the fact that we've stopped the excess transfer payment. So, you know, uh, real disposable income has fallen dramatically in the last couple of weeks, and, you know, companies know that, um, and they're going to start right-sizing um, their labor forces. They're going to adopt do, new methodologies of getting things done, whether that's shrinking or, um, you know, uh, shrinking a footprint or shrinking a workforce. So, uh, we've got a long road ahead of us, and we really need to see this leveling off in the improvement reverse and begin to trend uh, higher again with a, a significant improvement in labor statistics if we want to keep the uh, market recovery going. And, you know, it, I think we're going to start to see whether that's going to be the case in this August and September data. Uh, the consumer confidence numbers we got out this week were very discouraging. You know, they dropped back to 84.8, which is even below the lows we saw in March and April. And, you know, they're uh, uh, close to a six-year low. So we've got to get things going again. And, you know, that's really not going to happen without a lot of support from the federal government. So if you're thinking about, you know, the government, you're talking about the, the market, um, this kind of seems a little bit of an in-contrast, right? We keep seeing the S&P, the NASDAQ, they're, they're hitting new highs, and they're hitting new highs on a, almost on a daily basis at this point. So, uh, you know, how do we tie that in, and, and do, you, do you view this as an indication that the economic recovery is, is going to be continuing? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, the nature of the way the market is hitting new highs is quite concerning, meaning it's a very narrow group of stocks that because of their leadership for the last several years have become very large components of the indices, and they're, they're dragging the indices higher, whereas the average stock is, is really isn't making near as much ground. So, um, you know, it, it's a situation where, and this is a part of the stimulus as well. You know, we saw a significant number of new brokerage accounts open. Then we saw 
brokerage commissions go to zero. Then we wrote checks to individuals. Then we started selling shares on a fractional basis. And you just have a lot of money chasing into a few names. And that's unfortunately what's pushing things higher. So my concern last week was as we were making those new highs in the S&P 500, we were doing it when the majority of the industries and sectors were actually negative on the day. So the breadth was not very good. But more importantly, we saw volatility starting to increase in some of those tech leaders. And that that is to be expected, but you want it to be kind of a one-off that as you kind of broach new highs, that you can have your volatility increase on that single name. Uh, but that's just because the range of outcomes have increased over the near term. But you want it to begin to decline fairly quickly, and it's not doing that. So we take Apple as an example. It, it's reached new highs. Its volatility is starting to break out to the upside. And then, you know, just a couple of days ago, we saw Tim Cook sell 130 million shares. So, you know, we've crowded a lot of people into these names. Uh, some thinking that if you get a stock split, you get more money. Um, so, you know, we've got we've got a lot of hot money and a lot of momentum. And the, when you look at the underlying support, you know, prices are driven by liquidity, and liquidity is attracted by low volatility, not high volatility. We've got volatility breaking out. So some of the issues we've seen beneath the surface that aren't apparent at the index level may show up where ultimately you see the surface of the index begin to decline if we see a correction in some of these leadership names. So it's definitely something to watch. Right, right. And you, and you, and you beat me to the uh, and you beat me to the stock the, uh, the stock split uh, comment. I was going to put in on you. On you. Um, so uh, you know, next question here. You know, for the last several weeks, uh, you know, we've experienced a bit of a, a mini stagflationary trade. All right, we saw the dollar decline in commodities and gold rallying. So um, both the gold and the dollar seem to be consolidating their moves, and the yield curve steepens. Um, so one, I was wondering if you could just quickly, you know, define or just uh, describe the situation of stagflation, and then two, um, do you think this is a temporary lull in the new stagflationary trade? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of cross currents here, and you know, stagflation is an economic environment where you have low to no growth, uh, but you actually have rising input pressures, rising inflationary prices, and, and it's very bad for uh, risk asset valuations. And we, a, a mini version from a cyclical standpoint was to be expected coming out of this recovery because, as we said, it was both a demand and a supply shock recovery. Demand's recovering first. We still have uh, a lot of significant damage to the economy, so not a lot of year-over-year -year improvement in growth, but yet because of the supply shock, we're actually seeing um, in inflationary pressures coming off the bottom. So we do have this mini-stagflationary trade going on. At the same time, it's clear to the market and the broad market participants that the fiscal situation in the U.S. has become unsustainable, and there may be a desire out of Treasury and the Fed to actually monetize and increase inflation to try to deal with some of the debt imbalances. And so in addition to that mini-cycle, longer term, I think investors are trying to position for ultimately 
um, a, a reflationary set of policy choices. But I think we need to take a look at at the moment in time, right? Because the weakness we've seen in the dollar is not very broad-based. It really is reflection of the strength in the euro. And the, the, the relative weighting in the euro and the Dixie, which is one of the more common uh, dollar indices, is a little outsized relative to a broader trade-weighted dollar. So on a trade-weighted dollar basis, certainly the dollar's fallen off the most recent high, but when you look out year over year, it's still in an upward trajectory. So a lot of what we've seen, I think, is, A, this mini-stagflationary cycle that we're experiencing coming out of the COVID-led recession in combination with a stronger euro. So I do think we're going to consolidate these gains. Now, are we really going to have a stagflationary cycle? It's definitely possible. But I think for us to have a real stagflationary cycle and to make that transition into a higher inflationary environment is going to take a significant fiscal uh, policy effort in conjunction with monetary support. So it's going to be more than just expanding the Fed's balance sheet. It's going to be doing it in a way that gets the money into the hands and into our economic system and not just building uh, reserves in the banking system. Yeah, and I think that transitions nicely to, to what will happen today with with, uh, with Chairman Powell's uh, Fed Chairman Powell, right? He, he described the, the Fed is targeting an average inflationary target of two percent versus a, a static target of two percent. Um, so that you know that implies that they would allow inflation to run a little bit higher than two percent to make up for shortfalls and in, in, uh, in realized inflation. And then as I was reading, the Fed also acknowledged that the Laffer curve is much less relevant, and the tight labor markets are not necessarily a leading indicator for higher inflation. So um, you know, if, if you had a chance to take a look at, at Powell's speech today, how would you interpret that, and um, what would you identify as, as the key takeaways? Yeah, I think there's there's several I think important takeaways. Um, the only one of those takeaways that I think should give investors comfort is the fact that I think Powell acknowledged that the tools that economists use and their measurements. Uh, are not relevant, not accurate, and should have been ignored a long time ago. So whether that's the, the relationship between employment and inflation or even inflation itself, because what he, what he did say today is, look, we've got a dual mandate of stable prices and maximum employment, but we're actually not going to measure that or set a quantitative goal for either one. We're going to leave that really open-ended. So he's like, you guys can take all of your measurement tools and everything, and I'm just not interested in hearing about it. And in that way, I think that's positive. Um, what, what I think is less positive is it also leaves it completely open-ended for the Fed to do whatever they want to do, and they're going to start creating this narrative that inflation is good. Nothing could be further from the truth. The only reason the Fed wants inflation is to bail out the excess debt and the deficits at the federal level and bail out all their buddies at Wall Street, period, end of story. That is the only thing they're trying to do. Um, and so leaving these qualitative elements uh, about we're not really going to measure it and it's, all, we're all, it's always going to be focused on inflation expectations, 
not what is actually happening right now. It's just giving themselves maximum wiggle room to do whatever they want to bail out whoever they feel needs to be bailed out. And the other part of this is they are desperate to get the yields curve higher. So they want to see inflation expectations rise, steepen the yield curve so that the banking system and the credit intermediation that they do will become a more profitable business. Um, so I think this is laying the groundwork for the Fed to take a pretty aggressive action and, and not in a way that, that we've seen previously. I think they're going to begin to uh, devise ways to take action that either supports Treasury or, or they themselves go directly to get money in the hands of households to create inflation. Um, and, you know, I, you know that should uh, cause a little bit of pause for investors, uh, but we're clearly entering the stage of kind of Fed activism, uh, and they clearly want to take a different role. That said, investors are going to be very skeptical of the Fed's effectiveness, right? They've talked about average inflation targets. They've talked about all these things before. Uh, if, if, if they really want to influ influence inflation expectations, they're going to have to take action. So now he's told us what they're going to do or how they're going to view the world, what their new philosophy is. Uh, we need to see if there's any actions behind it, and if so, how soon and how strong are those actions. Right. Well, it's a good good story, good narrative to continue to launch in. Um, and perhaps as we get continued information, we'll be, we'll be curious to see how you're uh, continuing to construct the, construct the portfolios and see where, uh, yeah. see where hopefully we can do all right for everybody that's out there. So that's uh, good for today. Thank you very much, Chris, and uh, we'll look forward to having you again here in a short time. Thank you. Sounds good, Dan. Take care. Very good. You got it. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.